0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. I pastor Gregler's. First church I pastored was a 100-year-old church, and, uh, and so I've been the gamut, uh, different churches and, and so forth. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to begin this morning just by kind of talking a little bit about evangelism. Whenever I say that word evangelism, there's all kinds of things that come to people's minds, uh, mostly fear uh, of doing that, uh, because uh, there's all kinds of perceptions of what that would be like. Uh, back in the day when uh, in the 60s and 70s, that really dates me. I'm 68 years old, so I, I have a little bit of a history. Evangelism explosion was a big thing. I don't know if some of you, were older, remember that. The uh, big thing was Dr. James Kennedy. Uh, and it basically told people how to go door to door and share the gospel and this kind of thing. And the first question is, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or not? And that was kind of the tip-off of how you got into a conversation. When I was in college... Uh, I, I was actually at InterVarsity when I was in college, but uh, Campus Crusade, now called Crew, again, that dates me, uh, Campus Crusade was on campus, and they used the four spiritual laws, and, and uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and so forth, and that was the first law. And then uh, there's the navigators that started out with the bridge, and so forth, and all those things are wonderful, and they're helpful, and I think everybody needs to know how to be able to share the gospel in a very simple way, and I'm actually, toward the end, I'm going to got your phones with you, I'm going to give you an app that you can use uh, to do that. Um, but the focus in the past has been more on what I call cold contact evangelism, where maybe you talk to somebody you maybe don't know very well, you try to get into a spiritual conversation, kind of out of the blue, and you try to share the gospel. And, um, and although that works, in fact, uh, I have uh, a, a couple friends, uh, one friend of his name, Mark, he sets up prayer stations in places where there's events going on, and he just shares the gospel and prays for people. Uh, out of the blue, I had a—I have a good friend that I was roommate with in college, and he was a street preacher for many, many years, uh, which would be exciting. I always wanted to do that. Uh, that I always thought that would be kind of a fun thing to do—preaching to a crowd that isn't necessarily going to be wanting to hear what you have to say sometimes. But uh, anyway, um, but all that kind of scares people to death. Uh, I don't think any of you probably would want to be a street preacher. And, and the idea of going up and talking to somebody, cold turkey, out of nowhere, just, I used to do that in a college campus, by the way. It was kind of fun. i would go to a student union, I'd see a person sitting there and go talk, and you try to move into a spiritual conversation, that kind of thing. Well, it was kind of interesting, and I got into all kinds of interesting conversations, especially on a college campus, as you can imagine. Uh, one guy says, well, if God is omnipotent, can he create a rock bigger than himself? You know, and that kind of stuff. You know, so you get those crazy questions. Um, but that's not where most people are at. In fact, I would say, if I took a poll, and I'm not going to do that, but if I took a poll, I would say most of you, most of you came to Christ because somebody in your life influenced you. A friend, a neighbor, a coworker, that kind of thing. Most people, when they come to faith, come to faith because somebody, very normal, Uh, very much a part of their life helps them see who Jesus is. And so you build that relationship of trust, you respect the person's needs, you listen to them, and so forth. And so it's it's not a presentation so much as it is a way of presenting the gospel in the life, in your life, and how that life can be for somebody else. Most of the time when we think of evangelism, we think of being an extrovert. I am not an extrovert. Even though I publicly speak, I am not an extrovert. I am an introvert. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably about a 5. OK? I mean, I, crowds tire me. An extrovert gets energy from crowds. I get tired if I'm around crowds a lot. My wife, on a scale of 1 to 10, is like an 8. I mean, she's really an introvert. Uh, and both of us have used these principles throughout our lives. And my wife is very good at it. Uh, and so if you're an introvert, God bless you, I understand you, and what we did at the beginning and go turn around and shake people's hands, if you're an introvert and you're a visitor, you probably didn't like that, right? Okay, and I understand that, I understand that, that's, that's how introverts are. And so I want to share with you a way that we can share the gospel, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't really matter, you can use these principles. Now, the biblical basis for this is found in Genesis chapter 12, and I do want to give a biblical basis for this. Uh, And it's a different sort of paradigm. We call it in the CEI, Church Evangelism Institute, the blessed paradigm. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1. This is called the Abrahamic promise. It's, It's a key promise, and there's so many passages in Scripture that that play off of this promise, and I'll share a few with you as we go through this. Now the Lord said to Abram, he hadn't had his name changed yet, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So the approach I want to share with you is what we call the blessed approach. The blessed approach. Now, we all know sort of the biblical story probably that sin came into the world and caused a curse to come upon us all. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were cursed in their relationship. They were cursed in their relationship. It says in Genesis 3:16 to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. And women, you understand that. Men, we don't. Uh, we, my wife and I had five children. Bless her. You know, we, I, she, I have no idea what the pain is. I had a kidney stone one time. I said, maybe that's sort of somewhat similar. <laughs> I don't know. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So there you go. Right there at the beginning, that 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 problem of marriage. That your desires shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. Family relationships were broken. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed Abel. Cursed in the relationship with creation, we're seeing that, I'm seeing that this year especially. I don't know about you, but I had snow mold on my lawn. Never heard of it before, snow mold. Killed a bunch of my lawn. But it says to Adam, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. So we're cursed in our relationship with creation itself. We're cursed in our physical bodies, as the woman, of course, had to multiply chain pain and childbearing. Man, I can imagine if women didn't have pain and childbearing, they'd have a lot more children. That would be my guess. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, and then it says, to the ground you shall return, for from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. So our physical bodies, our physical bodies are cursed. And as I get older, I realize that more and more. In fact, I was just talking to your youth dealer, and we were, we were commiserating because we both have a heart condition. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of one of those things. As you get older, uh, you realize that life on earth isn't always going to be here, and so your frailty begins to show up. And then, of course, worst of all, we're cursed in our relationship with God because instead of enjoying that intimate relationship with God, walking in the garden with him every day, it says he drove man out of the garden, east of the Garden of Eden, and there he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And So we're cursed in that relationship. Instead of walking with God in that intimacy that is so wonderful that we're going to experience when we get to heaven, it says later on in Genesis 4, and they had to call upon the name of the Lord. When all they had to do was just simply talk to the Lord, now they have to call upon the name of the Lord. And someday we're going to be able to talk in that intimate and marvelous way as we come before him. But as we live in the world today, we have this sense of brokenness. And in the old covenant, the whole idea of curse, at the end of the covenant, There's, there's if you keep the covenant, there's these blessings that occur but if you don't keep the covenant there are these curses that occur and we can see in the life of Israel the cursedness when they don't keep that covenantness. covenant and then Paul says for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law so sin brokenness we're broken in our relationships We're broken in our wills, we're broken in our emotions, our thinking, we're broken in our bodies, we're broken in our relationship with God because we're under this curse. Now, people out in the world can understand brokenness, right, because the world today is a broken place. It is a broken place. I was commenting to my wife the other day that, you know, when I grew up on my block, I can't think of one home that had a broken marriage. We were all pretty well stable families. Today, brokenness in marriage is a very common thing. Now, that doesn't mean that all those marriages were were great or anything like that. But I'm just saying is that there is just simply a lot of brokenness out there. Especially when we come to the pandemic and so forth. We were talking about that and all the uh, fear and everything else that that caused. And so brokenness, that state of emotional pain, that curse that came about. Well, so what happened is, is that now God, seeing this curse, wants to bring blessedness back into creation. And so the first thing he tried to do is he tried to start over with Noah. And in fact, the word, uh, the name of Noah means rest. And so instead of trying to, uh, you know, uh, change things, he said, let's just start over. You know, things are really bad, let's start over. So... He sends Noah, he has God's favor, and, he, and you know the story. And what happens after the flood? There is another curse. Because Noah plants a vineyard and gets drunk, and he's laying there naked, and Ham, his son, goes and sees him and sort of in a perverted way, goes and tells the brothers, and, they, and, and, and at the end of that it says, Cursed be you, Canaan! Of course, which Canaan becomes the son of Ham. And so the curse continues, and sin continues, and we can see it in in, uh, Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel and so forth. And so what God is saying is that the blessedness that he wants to come by and bring about in the world does not come through natural means, but rather now God is going to bring about a supernatural beginning, a supernatural option to bring blessedness back into the creation that is cursed, that is broken, and so that's where we get Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where Abram begins to be the source of that blessing. Abram promised, blessed be you, Abram, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. But the key verse is, I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you, I will curse you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you've got my outline there, and for the benefit of time, I'm not going to go through every last aspect of it. But I want to, the seed. The seed. Remember, what happens with Abraham and Sarah? When did they have the child? When they were really, really old, beyond the age of Sarah's birth, giving, being able to give birth. When she was 90 years old, And so God provides a supernatural blessing to Abraham and that through that supernatural blessing of the birth of Isaac, the seed begins to begin to develop. So Isaac is born, who is that chosen seed. Jacob is born, who is that chosen seed. And from Jacob he has 12 sons and as we read through the The stories of the twelve sons Judah then becomes that chosen seed through whom the scepter shall not depart. And then you have the tribe of Judah which becomes the ruling tribe. And then you get to what? David, the seed. And so as Matthew begins, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the what? The son of Abraham, the son of David. And so you see the flow of biblical history that in Christ Jesus, the blessing to the nations Come. It is through the seed of Abraham, who is Christ, that would be that source that, of salvation. And so Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, so in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit of faith." The blessing. The curse now has been, has been started to decline and now the blessing begins to come through Christ. And the church then is the way that the channel of the blessing continues. The church is the way the channel of the blessing continues. Know that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Do you think of yourself as a son of Abraham through whom the blessing comes to the world? Have you ever thought of yourself that way? Probably not. That's kind of a radical idea to a certain degree, isn't it? We are the church, the sons of Abraham through whom the blessing not the source of the blessing, that's Christ, but we bring the source to the Gentiles, to the world. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So begin to think of evangelism not not so much as trying to convert people, but rather think of evangelism as a way to bring the curse to an end, as a way to bring blessing to people. Blessing to people. See, that kind of changes our approach then, doesn't it? Because all of us, at some form or fashion, can be a channel of blessing. We can help in relieving the curse that people are experiencing because of sin and death. And so, therefore, we need to ask ourselves how can we begin to be a channel of blessing to people? And that is really a very easy begin, thing to begin to do. Because all of us can do that, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you've been a new Christian for a long period of time, or you've been an older Christian, you, it, it's always easy to be a blesser. How can I be a channel of blessing to people? Now, there's a book by the name of The Missional Entrepreneur. It was written by Mark Ferguson. And, uh, excuse me, I am going to put my Bible down here a second. And he, they did a little experiment, and he took 12 groups of entrepreneurs, 12 business groups to Thailand and their goal was to create and implement a business mission philosophy. Six of the groups focused primarily on conversions. That is to say their whole purpose was more to convert people than anything else And the whole idea of of implementing businesses in the Thai community was somewhat secondary. They were called the converters. Six of the the groups focused not just on sharing their faith, but focused really more on how to influence the people to develop businesses, and then out of that, influence those people to faith in Christ. In other words, their focus was really quite balanced. They were called the Blessers. The Blessers. Now, it's interesting. Now, which group had more conversions? Well, you probably know. The Blessers, right? They had more conversions. But not just a few more. A ratio of 48 to 1. A ratio of 48 to 1. 96 people came to faith through the Blessers. Two people came to faith through the converters. So what does that tell us? It tells us that people people want to know that we are deeply concerned about them. And the reason the blessers succeeded is that they built relationships and they created an atmosphere of trust so that when they did begin to share the story of Christ, they did so from a position of credibility because they've already been blessing the people and the community that they were in. The converters, however, really never became part of the community. I call them commando evangelists. You know? They go out and they confront people and then they go back into their, you know, fortresses. And that's sometimes how people in the in the, in the world view us. We're kind of like commando evangelists. We go out, we share the gospel, but then we go back and, and huddle in our communities, and we really never have much of an influence in the community as a whole. We are converters instead of blessers. And so the key then is, how can I become a blesser? And by the way, they have found that in churches that follow the blessing principle, they have way more, far more conver- converters, uh, uh, conversions than those uh, who are converters. I just read, in fact, maybe you've heard, uh, the Surgeon General uh, said that we have an epidemic of loneliness in our society. Have you heard? Did you hear that? We have an epidemic of loneliness. It really was enhanced by the entire pandemic, wasn't it? Loneliness. Well, Lots of people are lonely. In fact, they find that people who are lonely have a 60% chance of an early death. People are hungry for connection. They're hungry for it. And as people, if we can connect with the non-believer in the community, our ability to do outreach will be greatly enhanced. We want to be blessed. We want to go into the community that is disconnected And be a source of blessing to those people. To relieve the curse of loneliness, of brokenness. And to reach those who need help. Okay, so, what do we need to do? On your outline, on the back of it, there's this little, called this outreach temperature card. Outreach temperature card. The first thing that we want to do the first thing we want to do is ask ourselves, where am I on the outreach temperature card on a scale of 1 to 10? Now, 1 is apathy. In other words, you're just like, you're unaware or disobedient or hostile to evangelism. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some that are in 1s, and maybe some of you here are that way. Uh, I remember teaching a thing on evangelism in a church that I pastored, and one of the church leaders said, you know, I never have really even heard about this or even thought about it. So it's possible that people are just unaware of the responsibility that we have to go out and bless people. And then, of course, there's the number 10, which is, yeah, you have a growing impact and influence. And if you're a number 10, you can basically disregard everything I have to say this morning because you're already doing it. Okay. But somewhere in the middle is where most of us are somewhere in the middle. Maybe you're a 2 or a 3 or a 4 or a 5 or a 6. Maybe you're moving in that 7 to 8 direction. But I have a feeling that a lot of people are somewhere between that 3 and 6 mark, right? Kind of maybe, and I'll let you decide where you're at, Okay. And so the the whole thing is, this is not intended to produce any guilt. (laughs) This is a sort of a self-evaluation process. Um, and, you know, we're all at different stages in our lives, in our, in our experience in the faith, but this isn't uh, about guilt. This is just simply a way for us to intentionally think about where we are at. Now, the next thing we need to do is what we call the Frank Principle. And it's on that bottom grid. It's F-R-A-N-C. Friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, colleagues. What or who are the people that I am hanging around with that are those unchurched individuals friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, colleagues? Now, let me say this I have been around the church for a long time. I grew up in the church, I started the church, my first church, I started pastoring at age 25. And uh, and so I'm very well aware of the fact that maybe one of the more difficult things as we become older Christians, as, in other words, as we become Christians long, in other words, the longer that you're a Christian, there is a tendency to become isolated from non-believers. I can remember telling some of the women in the congregation, says, they're going to talk about having a Bible study. and said, well, why don't you have a Bible study that you can invite non-Christians to? And they said, you know, well, pastor, we don't even know any women who are non-Christians. Really? I remember trying to teach this to some older believers, and when they thought about, well, friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, colleagues, they really couldn't name any of their friends who are non-Christians. There is this tendency as we become older and we become more mature, well, longer in the faith, that we become isolated, we become so busy at church <laughs> that we don't have time or we don't think we have time to begin to know our neighbors or to begin to know our, uh, or really have develop or nurture friends um, in uh, around us. Now, we were pastoring in Door County. That was where my last church, well, two of my last churches were in Door County the uh, First church is Ellison Bay, and Ellison Bay, if you have ever been to Door County, is way at the end of the peninsula, and uh, and so it's kind of isolated just geographically. And uh, we were there the first year as a pastor. You're just trying to get to know people in the in the community and in the church, mostly, trying to figure out what's going on, uh, you might say. And uh, and so we got there, and we sort of evaluated ourselves, and I. Told my wife, I said, you know, Twyla, my wife's name is Twyla. Twyla, we don't know any non-Christians. I said, this is ridiculous. Uh, And I said, how can we begin to do evangelism if we don't know any non-Christians? So I went on a fishing expedition. (laughs) And I tried to start figuring out where in the world we could begin to meet and rub shoulders with people in the community. And I went to a number of different things, Knights of Columbus and Lions Club and all this kind of stuff, and just didn't fit. And so... So, so we thought, well, let's go to the YMCA. Well, they had what was, it was the start, and this was the beginnings of it, pickleball. Ever heard of pickleball? Yeah. Oh, everybody's played pickleball, right? Love it, love it. So we began to play pickleball with these people. And all of a sudden, we had people coming out of our ears that we knew that were unchurched. And over a period of two years, I think there were four or five of our friends that came to faith because of our contact with them. And one was an atheist. In fact, <laughs> that's my wife, this is a great story, she was picking off bugs on her tomato plants. You know, I don't, can't remember what they're called, like these big worms that eat up tomato plants. Maybe some of you know what they are. And one of the guys said, well, you're a Christian, can you kill those bugs? And anyway, we got in this long. She got this long discussion about you know, you know that you know. We, I know where I'm going to heaven, and, that's, and he says, "Well, when you're dead, you're dead," and all this kind of stuff. Well, it took a while, uh, but over a period of time, uh, he came to faith. He was an atheist, and he came to faith over a period of two years. And it was a great. It was a great. It was. It was fun to baptize him. Put it that way. So what I'm trying to say is that maybe if you don't have anybody in your circle of influence, maybe what you need to do is just figure out where you can. And I know that takes a lot of work, and as you get older especially. Now, we moved from Door County to Jim Falls, Wisconsin, and we are kind of at the same place we were at the first year when we were in Door County. We don't know people like we would like to know. And so we got to go fishing again. (laughs) You know, we got to go figure out. And so we live in a little neighborhood, and my wife and I uh, said we got to work, start working our neighbors because we built a house, and I've been, we've been doing landscaping. You know how life begins and ends. And so we, you know, we did all this. And so I got a little app. Now, here's, here's an app that you can use. Okay, so you got your phones. Here's an app that you can use. In your app's finder, in your app finder, Type in, bless every home. Bless every home. Bless every home. This will give you the names of all the people in your neighborhood. (laughs) I kid you not. This is cool, man. So you can type in your address, and it will give you the names of everybody in your neighborhood. And you know what you can do? You can go on neighborhood prayer walks see? And you can say, okay, here's a neighbor, and you you know how it is, like, you can't remember the person's name? What was that guy's name? Oh, yeah, I can go on my Bless Every Home and and know that person's name. And now you can use that as a way of maybe connecting with your neighbors. And Bless Every Home, uh, Bless Every Home, can you find it? Did you find it? Okay. I got another couple apps to share with you. But, So uh, that Frank list, write down your friends, your relatives, your acquaintances, your neighbors, your colleagues that are unchurched, and just think about where they are at spiritually and how you can be an impact to them. Start slow, begin praying for them. Okay, now let's get into how we can put the blessed principle to work. Now, I need a couple of people to help me here. Who can help me pass out bookmarks? Anybody? All right. Everybody gets a bookmark today. So you got something for coming to church today, right? <laughs> All right. Hopefully, I ha- I'm sure I'll have plenty. This is something you can stick in your Bible. It's my plan to bless others, and you can stick it in your Bible. It's kind of a cool way to r- remind yourselves. On the back is, we call it, the frank list. Okay? Friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers. I encourage you to, when you go home, just think about the people you have in your life who's not, who aren't churched, uh, don't know where they are spiritually, and just write them down, because that becomes kind of your prayer list. And by the way, I encourage you, and if you have small groups and stuff like that, boy, be praying in your small groups for your Frank list. You know, it's a great opportunity to do that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that a little, little later. But, I always say, Frank is your friend because those are the people who are on your list. Okay, the first B is bless. You need some more? Okay, well, that's great. I didn't know how many people are here. I didn't know how big the church is, so maybe I'll have to print up a few more because I'm going to share this at my home church uh, that I go to. My wife and I go to church uh, in a couple weeks. So begin with prayer. B, begin with prayer. Pray for opportunities. Pray, Lord, where are you working? Where is is your Holy Spirit already moving? And lead me to the place in the community or wherever that might be, or if neighbors or whoever, and just put on on my heart those people where you're already moving. Pray for them on a daily basis. If you have a friend, pray that God would open up their hearts to the gospel. I'm gonna tell you something, conversion is a supernatural thing. If you wanna see supernatural change, you need to start at a supernatural level. And prayer is where you start. Prayer is where you start. And if you have a friend, if that friend is going through a need, don't just say, well, I'll pray for you. Pray for him right now. I was out camping with a friend, he's not church, and he's a dear friend, he knows I'm a believer and everything. And, and uh, his sister was going to go through surgery. And before we, he always asked me to pray before the meal, which is interesting. And he said to me, Doug, could you please pray for my sister who's going to go through surgery? Great time. People have needs. People are broken. Pray for the brokenness. They have, they're struggling right now. Maybe they lost a job. Pray for them about their jobs. If they're, they're sick, pray for them about their illness. Pray for them right there. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, one or two sentences, you know. God doesn't hear us because of our many words. It doesn't have to be eloquent. Just simple prayer. Pray for them. Because what does that do? It opens up their hearts to the Lord. Pray for them. Simple. Anybody can do that, right? Don't have to be a professional or a theologian. Just pray for them. Okay, bless them. Pray for them on a daily basis. Pray. For, how are you working their lives? Pray for them when they express a need. Pray for them. L, listen. Ask good questions. Ask good questions. We think evangelism is all about us talking. But evangelism is really more about us, first of all, listening. Listening to where they're hurting. Listening to where they're thinking. How they're thinking. Listening to what motivates them or what doesn't motivate them. Listening to where uh, they begin to express their heart. Now you've got to begin with the facts. You know, as getting back into pickleball. We have a pickleball group that meets... Uh, every week. I I had a little few back problems, so I had to step away for a while, but the new guy was there, and so we just started talking about, well, what did you do? He's retired, and we started just talking about stuff. And so you got to start with the facts. Then you get into common interests, and then if after a while, when you begin to know people, now they begin to share with you their struggles, because now you begin to understand where they're coming from, their struggles. And I know I was talking to an older friend of mine, and you know, we got on the subject of death. You know, as you get older, you think about that a little bit more, your mortality, you know? And I said, well, you know, I, I, you know, death, the process ain't going to be so great, maybe. <laughs> you know, because I've seen people suffer as a pastor, and I, it, uh, it gets miserable. But I, I said, I'm not afraid of dying itself, because I'll just be with the Lord, and I'll enjoy him forever, so. Um, but begin to listen. And then, Begin to think about their struggles, and but also maybe get into well, what do you think about spiritual things? This is really just being what a genuine friend, isn't it? It's just being a genuine friend, and then, you know what? That's what we have to be. I'm not a friend with my friend because I want to convert him. I'm a friend with my friend because he's my friend. Now I want him to come to faith, right? That's what a friend would want. Well, we have to be genuine with people. Okay. And then E, eat together. This, I believe, is what many call the secret sauce, is eating. Everybody likes to eat. In fact, sometimes we like to eat more than we should. But what does eating with somebody mean? It implies social equality. Why do you think Jesus ate with sinners? Because he wanted to show them he was connected with them, socially connected with them. They're, they're, image, they're made in the image of God. They're equals to him. There's, there's that social equality there. And it implies that create, creating that welcoming space for people to have when, you're, they, when you have them in your home. Uh, let me make a few suggestions, though. When you have people in your home to eat, lightweight, low-cost, low-maintenance. They're the three L's. Lightweight, low-cost, low-maintenance. And women... Don't worry about cleaning. Okay, don't worry about clean. I mean, you may have to straighten up, but make your home normal. Concentrate on people, not preparations. Don't be uh, a Martha, okay? I had a friend named Martha. She was an older lady. She hated that story. Uh, <laughs> the most effective barometer, by, and this is really key, folks, the most effective barometer of whether or not your church is doing outreach is how hospitable your church is when new people come. Hear that? The most most important factor in new people coming to your church and being open to new believers is how hospitable your church is when people come. There should never be a new person that comes into your congregation that their name isn't taken, their email isn't given, their phone number isn't received, And within 48 hours, there's a follow-up. That's the rule of thumb. 48 hours. 48 hours. It's important. Then, not only eat, and we all love to eat, but S, serve. Serve. Serve because we care for them. Serve them. Do they have a pet, they're going on vacation, and they need someone to take care of their pet? They offer to take care of their pet, their dog or their cat. they got small kids, and they need a night out, and maybe they can't afford a babysitter. Well, offer, offer to take care of their kids. And grandparents, you can do that too, you know. Uh, it doesn't have to be just kid, people with kids. Um, if they've lost their job, and maybe they're really in financial straits, get a, get a grocery shower together for them. And do... It's just really practical stuff. They need a ride somewhere, give them a ride. Um, Listen to their pain points. You know, God whispers in our pleasure, and what does he do? He shouts in our pain. Listen. That's why listening is so important. My wife is really good at this. She listens and understands people. That's why I think she's such a good share of her faith, because she knows how to listen. Listen to their pain points. So that you can serve them and then not only that but let them serve you let them serve you because that's what that give-and-take of friendship is that builds respect and and uh, and and uh, community because that's what you're trying to do let them serve you because that's what a friendship is all about and then finally share 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 how God has worked in your life now That doesn't mean you give a 15-minute spiel about what my life was like before Christ and what it was now and then how you came to Christ and what it's like now. But just simply share what's going on in your life right now. I had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer, and I had prostate cancer in my 60s, and I knew all the anxiety that developed, and I said, you know what? I told her a psalm that that was really helpful to me when I was going through, because every once in a while you sit there and all of a sudden this wave of anxiety kind of overflows you. And you go, okay, this has got to stop. And so I just started meditating on this psalm, and it was really helpful. And that's all I said. And I shared with the psalm to her. So that it's a way for them to connect spiritually. And then obviously share at some point with them the story of Jesus. Okay, so here's another app. I got all kinds of stuff here. Type in life on mission. Life on mission. Life on Mission. It's the three-circle app. There are three circles. And I, if I wasn't such a tech novice, we'd have it up there. It uh, starts out with God's design, goes to sin, to brokenness, and, of course, the solution the gospel. It's just an easy way for you to share the gospel with somebody, and it connects with their idea of brokenness uh, and what that's all about. Life on Mission. And it even has a little thing on how to do that. This stuff today is amazing. So they even actually have a training thing that shows you how to use the app and how to share the gospel. But let me say something about this. Sharing the gospel, most most non-believers will take a significant period of time before they will come to faith. You've got to give them space. We have found over the years that evangelistic Bible studies is one key uh, way of helping them understand who Jesus is so that they can ask questions and think it through and so forth. Someone once said it takes about 17 times of people hearing the gospel before they actually respond to the gospel. I heard that statistic. And so we've done Alpha. I don't know if you've heard of Alpha before. It's a great way they hear a video, a, a speaker speak about what the gospel is, and then we break down into groups, and then we just share openly what, that, what they heard and how that affects them. And it sometimes takes time. I, when I was in college, I just found this out. It was really great news. I, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Kim, who was my street preacher friend, and he said, hey, you remember Craig? And I said, yeah, I remember Craig. I used to sit with him in economics. He was a guy, he could take notes with both hands. Golly, I was incredibly jealous of him. Uh, he could take both notes with his left hand and his right hand. And, uh, and we were in principles of economics. And, of course, we sat by each other and we talked to each other. And so I, was ha- I had an evangelistic Bible study in my dorm room. And so I said, Craig, want- you want to come to my Bible study? And so he came to my Bible study. And, and we kind of lost touch over the years. And, uh, and Kim said, hey, you remember Craig? And he said, well, yeah. I said, Cra- Craig became a Christian. Really? And he said, it was because of that evangelistic Bible study you had in your dorm room. Didn't know that. I did that when I was like 20. I found out when I was like 65. (laughs) Pretty cool. See, sometimes we don't always know uh, the fruit that is born. So it's going to take a process. And you need to be patient. Pray continually. Pray. It's a spiritual battle. But allow them to ask questions. You know, one time sharing the gospel with them, it may not be that they'll come to faith. But maybe further conversations down the road will be. Well, my time is up, and we need to get going here, so here's the conclusion. Be a blesser. Anybody can be a blesser, right? You can pray for people, you can listen, you can eat with them, you can serve them in simple ways, and if God does something in your life, you can share with them, and if God has done something in your life that maybe connects to a need that they have at that point, you can share maybe how God helped you in that time. That doesn't have to be long. Second, this is really key. Team up with others. Team up with others. We really stress this when I, we pl- planted the church in Door County. We call bringing people to faith a community project. <laughs> a community. Introduce them to other believers in your church. Introduce them to other believers in your church because they may be able to connect with that person in a way that you can't. And so they may have ways to do that. But the other thing is, is that what you want to do, see on the back of that little thing here, my outreach temperature, you want to raise your temperature one degree at a time. One degree at a time. And so when you team up with others to pray for your Frank list, maybe two or three other people, you can encourage each other's temperature increase. <laughs> How are you doing that? It's a good way of accountability. One degree. One degree. Last week I said, pray earnestly that God would send out laborers into the harvest field. That was the only prayer request that Jesus ever asked of his disciples. Do you know that? That's how important it is. I want to stress that reaching the lost, reaching people who need Jesus, is work. I'm not going to be, it's on all fun and games. It's work. It's work. But that's what laboring is all about now is it work that's incredibly fruitful and enjoyable in the long run absolutely is it scary sometimes yeah it is but you know what even an introvert can be a blesser and i encourage you to follow through and think about that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed okay let's pray Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came and you blessed us with your presence. You bore the curse for us on the tree, the cross. That You blessed us with our salvation, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit coming and living in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Lord, help us to continue your ministry, to be a blessing to others, to relieve the brokenness in the world around us, and to see people with the compassion that you have so that we might be a help and a blessing to them. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.